Hello, it's really, really great to be with you again. I'm very excited about what I have to share. I feel like we've all started on a journey together. We are persevering, we are praying regarding this election. We've been praying, we continue to pray for the shifting, restoring of our nation. God is doing that. He has reset this nation. He's recalibrated things. We don't see the fruit of that fully yet, obviously. We won't until we see the fullness of revival happening. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm here to say to you that that reset has occurred and that we are moving forward. And one of the reasons that this election is so significant is that God needs President Trump to stay in office because he is, for lack of a better way to say it, I don't think he's a spiritual giant at all, but he is very accommodating to and toward, his heart is toward the things that God needs done. Pro-life, ridding us of the shedding of innocent blood. That has to happen. President Trump is the most pro-life president we've ever had. <clears throat> he's pro-Israel. He's pro-Constitution. He's appointing constitutionalist judges. He's kept every promise he made to us. And he has halted the momentum of the left to move us towards socialism, away from Christian principles, away from scripture. There's been an effort since the 60s, a very successful effort in this nation to turn us toward humanism, secularism, away from God, multiple religions, multiple gods, but we don't want any one God uh, to have more influence than another. We don't want God in government. We don't want him in school. We don't want him in the marketplace. We just You can have him at home and on Sunday mornings, but that's it. And that has created a humanistic, um, I'm going to say, a generation without a biblical worldview, which has done irreparable harm. Truth doesn't matter much. It's all relative. It's okay to lie if the end justifies the means and, and morals took a dive and, and so many things that have led our nation away from God, which has hindered our destiny, which is to be his voice to the nations of the earth. We're supposed to be the uh, strongest, primary, greatest voice of the gospel of the kingdom to the earth, America. But God's recapturing that. And this election is very critical in that process. And I, on my last podcast, I said that I was going to, on the next one, that I was going to talk about a chapter in, in my book on intercessory prayer. It's titled Intercessory Prayer that talks about why persistence is needed in prayer. And I'm doing this to encourage you because a lot of Christians, where they lose the, the breakthrough or the fulfillment of a promise, is because they just don't have enough patience and persistence, perseverance to hang in there until, until they receive. And the Bible is very clear. It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. Not just faith, but patience, because sometimes it takes a while. But why? If we don't know why it takes a while at times or why, why we are persevering, that can mess us up also and cause us not to receive. So this is to encourage you that we're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, it's, it's accomplishing something while we're doing it. We're not just trying to be religious. We're not just trying to be um, holy or, you know, whatever. We're, we're, we're persevering for a reason. So that's what I want to get to. Let me tell you, first of all, what we're not doing. We are not trying to convince God. We're not trying to talk him into something. We don't persist and come pray about the same things uh, over and over or decree into and over and over because that we're, we, we're trying to uh, talk God into doing something. There is a, uh, an inappropriate understanding of the prayer, what people call the prayer of importunity in Luke chapter 11, where, uh, we are told it through through that that because of a person's importunity or persistence that the king finally relented and gave uh, the person what they wanted or what they needed and 
And so the teaching has come from that, that we have to importune or persist against God or toward him. And eventually he'll give it to us. Horrible doctrine, horrible teaching, heretical. The word doesn't mean importunity at all that's used there in the Greek. It's an idea. And what it really means literally is just bold, boldness, unashamedness, without modesty, without shame. What he's really saying in that passage is, is that because a friend had enough confidence in the relationship that the passage talks about to knock on his friend's door at midnight because he needed something from him. Hey, he's got enough confidence in the relationship to do it. He's going to get it. So it's not saying we persist against God and he finally relents. It's saying he's our friend. We need to be as bold with him as he said to be, come boldly to the throne of grace. We're not trying to to persist against him. Another horrible example of prayer that many people use is, and, and they even use the phrase when they're praying, is taken from Jacob when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And people talk about wrestling with God. I've heard people say, I'm quote Jacob, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And they'll say, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, God. As though we could really truly wrestle something from God. That's not the point of the passage at all. And it's never given to us as an example of prayer. The point of that passage is simply God was after one thing, a nature change in Jacob, so it could transform him into Israel and get that thing out of him that was a conniving, supplanting, scheming spirit. He's trying to break that and he's come, he's brought it to a showdown. And he's going to wrestle with this guy and hold on to him and pressure him until he gets it done. Jacob's after something else entirely. Jacob wants protection from Esau. He's after, he's trying to do with God just what he's done with everybody else. I, I'm going to get him to give in, give me this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connive my way into it. You're not leaving me till to, to you, to you, to you give me this. But it's laughable to think that Jacob could have overpowered God. That wasn't what was happening at all. God was allowing this to go on and continue, whether it was an angel or some people believe the Lord himself. But God was allowing it to go on because he's trying to get this guy to the point where he's ready to receive what God wants to do, not connive and try to get the blessing a different way. It's not an example of prayer. We're not wrestling with God. Ephesians 6 says we wrestle against principalities and powers, evil spirits, etc., not God. And why do I make a point out of this? Because we don't want anything to control us subconsciously. This happens very gradually. It's very subtle. We pray and we pray and we get intense and we're asking and we're you know, warring and we say, well, we got to storm the gates of heaven, you know, and wrestle. No, we're invited there. We, we, we sit there with Christ. We're welcome there. We don't have to storm there. We storm the gates of hell. And, and there's a subconscious mindset that comes to some people. I can just, I can just, God, please come. You can't talk. You're not going to talk God into doing something. And we don't want to. We're supposed to ask him for what he wants to do. We're partners with him. This is the confidence we have. If we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. And then we know we have the petitions we desire. So, so this is important because you must move into prayer, especially prolonged prayer, with a strong sense of security that God is on your side. He's not the adversary. You're not trying to take something from him. You're partnering with him. He's your friend. He's your Lord. He's your father. And so get that out of your mind and don't think we're persisting to get God to a certain point or if we can say it enough times or there's some magic number in heaven. If we just get to that point and say, okay, give it to him. That's not what we're doing. So what why, why, do, why are there delays in prayer? And I'm going to get to, I'm, I'm moving toward a very important point. But first, let me just say quickly, just answer a few questions. Why are there delays? Why does it at times take a while? Why does sometimes you ask for something, you get it just like that, or a miracle takes place. And then other times there is persistence required for us to, to be diligent and faith and patience inherit. What are the reasons for delay or that takes a while? Well, well, sometimes it's because God is, if it's, it's for us personally, God is working in us at times to get us ready for what he wants to do. So you may have a promise, you may have a prophecy that God says he's going to do this in your life. Well, 
He may do that six months from now, a year from now, or like Abraham, 25 years from now, or David when he's anointed to be king. And then 20 years later, 13 years later, he's king in Hebron, but 20, 20 years altogether before he's king in Jerusalem, or Joseph has to go all through what he went through. And it didn't happen immediately because God knew he couldn't do it with them immediately. He had to work things into them so that they were ready for what he wanted to do. So they were mature enough for, uh, to do it. Sometimes he could work things out of them that would have aborted what he wanted to do if he hadn't have dealt with that flaw or that sin or that iniquity. So he backs up and he knows, okay, it's going to take me 25 years to get Abraham to this point. So he starts back here knowing that at this point in time, he can do this. Same thing with David, as I mentioned, uh, Joseph. And, and so the Lord, sometimes the delays are because he's working in us. And he, he's not working because he's making us earn it. He's working because he wants us to succeed in what he gives us and what he does for us. He wants to maximize the potential that he's put in us. Sometimes there's a delay because in, in bigger picture prayers for revival, for example, because God is doing the same thing in, in a more corporate way for a region or for a nation. We might ask God for, for revival. I started asking God for revival in America 30 years ago. When the charismatic movement was ending, I was asking for the next one. And, the, and, I, and that inten has intensified over the years. But, but God can't, can't just do it instantly. Uh, nor is he waiting till he feels like it. You know, some people, I've heard people say, well, when God gets good and ready, he'll just do it. No, 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 no. No, when he gets us good and ready, he does things. And so, uh, so in a nation, for example, before he can pour out his spirit again, let's take America, for example. Uh, there had to be repentance, years of repentance for some of the things that we have done as a nation against him against the babies, against one another. So God put the moved the praying church into probably a 10-year season where there was a lot of what we called identificational repentance. That means you're not repenting for your own sin. You're identifying with the sin of, you, of your people, you know, your nation, your family, whatever. And you say, Lord, like Nehemiah did, like Daniel did, Lord, we have sinned against you. Well, Daniel hadn't sinned. He wasn't even alive when he was repenting for what he was repenting for. But he was identifying because it's his people. He has, the, he has the, their blood in him. And, and so there's a corporate responsibility. And he, has, he had the right to say, we have done this to you. Please forgive us. And so identification repentance. And, and that went on in America in a tremendous way. Uh, over slavery, over the abortion issue, over uh, things we've done against God, uh, 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 the, the broken covenants with the Native American people. Just God put us through an incredible season where so much repentance took place. But he's preparing a nation for what he wants to do. Sometimes that same thing could be happening in the church while he's preparing a nation and having us pray and intercede and do those kinds of things. He's preparing not just a person, but a people so that when he does it, they can steward it properly. The church is so much more mature, at least elements of it, so much more mature now than we were in the 60s and the 70s when the Jesus People movement came and the charismatic movement came. And we didn't even have or understand anything about apostles and prophets. Uh, the worship was very weak, you know, in that until that movement came. And so the Lord has matured the church in many ways. Now he can pour his spirit out at an even higher level. And we can we can steward that and we can be used to, to do it, to birth it and release it. So sometimes God is working in the person. Sometimes he's working in a corporate group of people to prepare for what he needs to do. And that can cause delays. And, you know, in some situations, it might be a month, but other times it may be decades. So we just have to understand that that's one of the reasons it can take a while. That's not what's happening in this election, but... Stay with me. Uh, other, another thing that causes uh, delay is, is, is uh, God having to do something in other people that we might be praying for. Or, um, this is, I don't know what, what to call this. I'll just, I'll just explain it to you. When God told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land, God is not such an unjust, mean God that he was just saying, you know what, I don't like these people, so I'm going to take it away from them and give it to you. 
That's not what was happening at all. He said to Abraham, I'm going to do this and I'm going to give you this land, but I can't do it yet because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, he knew it would become complete. He knew there would come a point where their sin was so great that in a just way, he could take that from them and give it to another. But even though he knew that was going to happen, he's such a just and holy and pure God that he wouldn't do it until it actually occurred. And when that cup of iniquity was full and he said, then I can give you the land. Well, that was 400 years. Can you imagine? But God in his wisdom and omniscience and foreknowledge, all of these things. Okay, this is when that cup and I can see, I can understand. I know this is when it all happens. I'm back up here and got to talk to Abraham here. It's going to take uh, this long to get him there and then kids and grandkids and then 12 and then, and then a nation. And so God is wise enough to he can do all that. But my point is. He 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 was he had to wait to do for Abraham what he promised Abraham's descendants until the sin had reached a certain point here. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. Sometimes there are other people's decisions that are involved, uh, and that's certainly some of what's going on right now in our prayers. God's having to work on other people and through other people. So since He gives free will and and operates that way. He doesn't just force things on people. Sometimes he'll force his hand, but most for the most part, he's working with people. You may be praying for someone's healing, and there may be some things in their life that God calls God causes God to not be able to do that right now. Maybe he's got to bring them to a point of repentance or do some things in them so that what he actually does for them won't hurt them. So there are other things involved for why delays happen. But I need to speed this up and get to uh, the, the, the final point that I'm going to begin to connect in just a moment with, with prayer for um, certain situations. There, I want to start by just saying we don't often think about it, but um, spiritual anointings, forces that are invisible, we can't see them. But we and, and therefore we often forget that they are real and they are measurable. And we don't think that way. You know, power is power. Love is love. Grace is grace. No, it's not true. The Bible says even sin, that, that there are measurable levels of these things. We can't measure them. We can't see it. But in the spirit realm, it's very real. For example, the Bible talks about different levels of grace. There's grace. Then there's the phrase great grace in Acts chapter 4. Great grace was upon them. Man, they were raising the dead. Creative miracles taking place because great grace, it says, was on them. But then there's another passage in Scripture that says all grace. There's even a higher level where all grace is being poured out. So, And, and by the way, the great grace in, in Acts 4 is the word mega in Greek, megas. So there's grace. There's mega grace. There's all grace. There's, there are different levels of faith. Some people just teach, well, if you have faith, you either have it or you don't. No, and it's not true. There are different levels of faith. The Bible talks about no faith, a little faith, faith, great faith, increasing faith. So there are different levels of faith, and those different levels of faith can accomplish certain things. Let me just say this quickly. The Bible never says in the in the correct interpretation of the language. It never says if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Some translations do that, and it's it's horrible that they do. Because what it really says is if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, a mustard seed. And the point is, it starts as a tiny seed, but it grows into a small tree. And what Jesus is saying is, he's not saying just a tiny little bit's all you need, even to move mountains. He's saying all you need to start with is it's just a small amount. In fact, he gives us that small amount. And then you develop your faith and your faith grows. So uh, it, it's not true that the same level of the, that, that, that there's only one level of faith and you either have it or you don't. And so and why do I make that point? Because we have to know that it's, it's requiring a certain level to do certain things. And we may have enough to 
pray and see breakthrough in my in my neighborhood. But it's going to take a lot more faith and strength to get breakthrough in a nation. So different levels, different thing. So grace, faith, sin. There's different levels of sin. There's some sin that, that, that you know you can get away with. It. You're never going to get away with it forever. And one day we're going to have to all give an account before the Lord. But then there are certain levels of where God just finally has to say, I'm going to have to destroy this place. I can't let this go on anymore. And so there are different levels of sin and there are different levels of power. And I'm going to get to that a little more in just a moment. So there are different level, levels of power and very important. There are different levels of power needed to do certain things let me let me give you some examples here uh, in matthew 17 the the disciples had been ministering for the lord and they had been used to cast out demons heal the sick they had been sent out they were excited they came back just and, and they even made a statement demons are subject to us in your name and the lord had to kind of rebuke them a little bit and say don't rejoice over that. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Don't rejoice that you have authority over the devil. Rejoice that you're in relationship with me. That's what we rejoice over. Don't get devil conscious. Stay, keep me at the, at, the, at the center and the focal point. But they were casting out demons and being used to work miracles. And then all of a sudden, a man brought them a, a child who was, uh, a, he was insane. King James as a lunatic. He was, but, but the passage makes clear that it was caused by a demon. Not that all mental illness would be caused by a demon, um, Alzheimer or some of those things. We're not implying that at all. But in this case, it was. And they couldn't cast They'd been casting out these demons. They couldn't get this one to go. So they kind of started assuming it must not be God's will. Uh, I wonder what this, these people did to, to, make, to cause this bad situation to be on them. Jesus came along and... It wasn't anything they did that was keep the, the, the boy or the dad or the family did that was keeping God from doing it. They weren't at a level of faith and able to release enough power to get it done because Jesus did it just like that. And he said, and they said, why couldn't we do it? He said, you need to fast and pray a little more. In other words, you, you got other ways to go here, boys, before you grow to that level. And you're going to have to do the things that cause that growth to get there. But the point is, they had enough faith and power flowing out of them to do this. But they didn't have enough to do this. Jesus had to come along and do that. So different levels of power and different levels needed for certain things. Another, another example would be when G Jesus was in his, home, his hometown. And he said, because of Na in Nazareth, because of their unbelief, uh, he wasn't able to do any great miracles, but it's a, he could heal a few people. Uh, and I don't know how God measured the difference between a, a healing and a great miracle, but probably something like, Hey, some, a stomach ache, a cold, you know, something minor. They were, some of those healings took place, but then it says he couldn't do any great works or great miracles there. So there weren't any dead raised. There was no crooked limb that was straightened or paralytic. And so here's what's important. It says, it, it says that happened because of their unbelief. So the problem wasn't in Jesus. He had the same level of power flowing out of him. But there was actually something on their end that was keeping that power from being able to get to them. And, and if we're going to look at this logically, some of the power got through, enough of it, got through to do some small things, but not enough power could get through to work great miracles. And all I'm trying to say to you through that is there are different levels of power, just like in their case, they were, different, they were, they were at a high level of unbelief. There are different levels of power and there are different levels of power needed to accomplish certain things, just, just like in the natural takes a whole lot more energy to light a city than it does a house. takes more energy to light a house than it does a room. And the same thing is true spiritually. Certain situations require more power, more authority, more faith. So having said that, let me just 
go to my next and final and very important point. For years, my concept of prayer was, I just ask, he does it. And I just keep asking until he does it, you know, and I either get it or I get tired of asking. But I, that's all I knew to do. Just and, and it's all up to him. And it's it's just we ask. And if he feels like it, he does it. And if he wants to, he does it. And he moves in mysterious ways. We know who knows. And, and so I ask and maybe he'll do it. Then I came. But 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 it began to bother me that that I was praying about the same thing for a long time. And it was like, what am I doing trying to talk him into this? And so let's bring it to today. Are we, are we trying to talk God in to moving in this election and over, overthrowing and exposing fraud and, uh, and, and bringing revival to America? Are we talk, trying to talk him into it? No, no, God. We're not talking God into anything. We're not trying to persist against him, as we, as we said earlier. So now that's not what we're trying to do. What I came to realize as I asked myself those questions, why am I doing this? Because I knew from the scriptures that sometimes you had to do it. Daniel persisted. Elijah persisted. Uh, others persisted in faith for things until the breakthrough came. And so I knew it was biblical, but I kept saying, why do we do this? And then the Lord began to show me that, that prayer is more of a, of a partnership. That he's, he's using us, not in a bad way, but in a, in a partnering way. And that my prayers are actually releasing his power, his spirit from within me. Do you know, there's an interesting verse in John chapter 7. Uh, and, and I'm going to go to Revelation 22. But in John 7, Jesus said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his belly will flow a river of living water. And belly there is the word koilia. It means womb. It's It's... The better translation would be out of your womb, out of, out of that place in you that births things, where, where, where re, reproductive things take place. Multiplication occurs. Life is generated out of that place will flow a river. In other words, he's comparing his life to a river. But that same phrase is used in Revelation 22 to describe the river of life. Very same language in Greek, river of living water river of life. In Revelation 22, it's flowing from the throne. The lamb on the throne is releasing a river. On the uh, either side are the, are the trees of life and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. So the river that flows from Jesus, Revelation 22, to restore everything, nations, life, is the very same river that is supposed to be flowing from us now to heal, to transform, to deliver, to save. Because he is, if we really understand uh, the new birth, if we understand scripture, it's not us doing it. It's the Christ. It's Holy Spirit in us doing these things. So he began to deal with me and show me that, son, I don't want you to just try to try to throw up enough petitions that you think you can get me up in heaven to do something. I want you to realize we're partners. I'm working through you just like, and he, and he said this, just like the father worked through me and everything I did was the father doing it through me. Then he says to us, you have to understand it's supposed to be the same way with, with you and I now. It's not me doing the works. It's Christ in me doing the works. And so I began to understand, wow, this is not just trying to talk God into doing something or, you know, come on, Lord. It's, it's like we're working together. We're co-laborers. We're, we're on the same team. We're family. It's father and sons, Inc., father and daughters, Inc. We're in this together. And, and it just changes everything. And so <clears throat> he started showing me that. And then, then he began to show me that when I prayed, and I'm going to give you read a couple of verses here in a minute. That when I prayed, not only was I not just trying to get him to do something, I was literally releasing his life, his power, other words, his energy. It's not a new age thing. It's just the power of God flowing out from me when I pray. The power in us is releasable. And we release it through our mouth. Sometimes Jesus just decreed, Lazarus, come forth. 
or be healed. Power went out of him because, because this is the outlet of the spirit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and so that's why when you're born again, you believe in your heart, you say it in your mouth because your mouth becomes the outlet of your spirit and the power and the life that's there flows out through decrees and through declarations and things you say. And yes, it has to be in, in sync with God's will. We're not just able to do anything we want, but when, we, when we're partnering with him, we know his will. We know what his word says. We know what the prophets have been saying. We know what he's telling us. We're praying according to his will. Now, now we, we do the things that release his power out, out from us. And, that, and that's what we do when we, when we decree but another way that we do this is laying on of hands. That's not just some symbolic act. There's supposed to be power that flows out of us when we do that. Read the book of Acts. Read the New Testament. They laid hands on the sick and they recovered. And that's not because, and that's not just some symbolic thing. Power went out of them. There was enough of it in Jesus. It flowed out of his clothing. So, so the power in us, I've never said it that way before. It's releasable. It's supposed to flow out from us. And it flows out of us when we decree and it flows out of us when we touch, but it, it also flows out of us when we, when we just intercede, when we pray in the spirit uh, and we come into agreement, we're releasing his power. Let me read you a couple of verses. Uh, Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do exceeding abundantly, exceeding abundantly. And that word is amazing in the Greek. It's, it means more than, more than enough. The, the, the word hooper pairs who the, the root word itself means more than enough. Then you put hooper on the front of it. It means more than that. So he can do, uh, ex, he can do exceeding abundantly with more added to that is what the verse says. So God is able to do exceeding abundantly and even more, uh, according to then we can ask or think. And then this next phrase is very significant according to the power that works in us. He'd say he'd do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power in heaven, which we know would be a true statement. But that's not what he said. He said he can do and will do the exceeding abundant with more added to that, more than we can even ask or think, according to the power working in us. Let me read you a couple of phrases then now from, from my book, Intercessory Prayer, about this. If you have the book, it's, it's chapter 12, I believe. Let me just take a second and confirm that. But um, I believe it's chapter 12. Yes, it is called the substance of prayer. But Weist, a very literal Greek translation of the New Testament, he, he, he says it this way, it, that God is able to do this exceeding abundantly with more out of that, more than we can ask or think. And, and then he says, according to the power according to the measure of the power operative in us. He's doing it according to or in the measure of the power operating in us. And the word measure is the word kata in Greek. And it can mean, it can mean not just the measure of something, but it, it means the distribution of it. You're measuring out and you're distributing it. So he's going to do this super abundant uh, work more than we can ask or think in the measure of the power that is distributed from us. Incredible. In other words, every time I pray and release his decrees and what he's leading me to do, and every time I ask in faith and say, Lord, I'm asking you to deal with that situation over there, expose this, that every time I do it, I'm to believe God is doing his super abundant, more than enough work according to that power that's being released as I, we, we together multiplies it, are doing this. Incredi incredible verse of scripture. It's another great passage that talks about this in James 5, 16. It's the verse we all have heard of. Uh, uh, that talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Uh, Weist translates that verse this way. A prayer of a righteous person is able to do much as it operates. It, the prayer, 
as the prayer operates, God is able to do exceeding. Uh, read again. A prayer of a righteous person is able to, to do much as it operates. Notice it doesn't say a prayer of a righteous person is able to do much because God causes it to operate. He is. But that's not the point he's trying to make. He's trying to make the point this is in you. And if you release it, it operates from you. Uh, the Amplified Translation says, and this is this is incredible. It's great, great translation of this verse. The earnest, heartfelt. That's the effectual, fervent part. The earnest, heartfelt. By the way, in the in the Greek, it's a, it's a tense that means continuous. There are some people who teach you only ask for something once. If you ever ask for it more than once, it's unbelief. You won't get it. It's not true. He's saying. Ask, even asking you receive, seek you find, knock over. All those are continuous in Greek. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. But it's not to overcome his reluctance. It's not to persevere against him. It's because we're just releasing this anointing, this power, this authority every time we do it. And the level that's needed to accomplish that is increasing all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. So the Amplified says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available is dynamic in its working. Incredible. Let me read it again. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous person or a righteous man or woman makes tremendous power available. Your continued intercession makes tremendous power available. And then he uses another phrase, another way to say it, the Amplified says is, it's dynamic. That's the word power, dynamo, dynamite, dunamis. It's dynamic in its working. So he's saying, as you pray and you continue to pers persevere and pray, there's a dynamo, there's a dynamic, there's a strength, there's something being released to you that's incredibly powerful and it's working. In other words, we're not just trying to talk God into it. We're releasing more power because there are measurable amounts of power that ne are needed to do certain things. And we're and we're moving toward that point. One more passage I'm going to mention, then we're going to pray. And that's the, the passage in Revelation 5, the book of the Revelation and, and Revelation 8. Talks about the bowls in heaven that have incense and they are the prayers of the saints. Now, I don't know if they're literal bowls. I, I kind of think there are. But I know at the very least, what he's saying to us is they're stored there. Prayers are stored in heaven. And they're accumulating. And, and the prayers, there are prayers that have been there 100 years that haven't been answered yet, but, but they're still there. They're stored there in the bowls. And then it says... Uh, when you get to, by the time you get to Revelation chapter eight, that he mixes those uh, prayers with the incense from the altar and pours them out onto the earth. And then there's, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's earthquakes. In other words, the power of God hits the earth and does what it needs to do. Whether it's bringing life or judgments or tearing down strongholds, it happens. But the Lord showed me one day and I, and I, I don't suppose there's any chapter that or verse that could prove this, but it's but I I believe it. Uh, I'm convinced of it. I've seen it work in my life. I'll tell you an example in a minute, but and that is that he said to me, you know, son, sometimes you ask me for things, and yeah, okay, I tip your bowl and it's just a drip or two. There's just not enough in there. You haven't given me anything to work with. There's no power in there. There's no obedience. There, there's no. There's no faith. There's no authority. And so, he said, "I need. I need for you to do this continually and to be serious about this, so that you fill that bowl, so that when it's time to tip the bowl, there's plenty of power there, and plenty of authority, and plenty of life. There's plenty that I need to work with because I don't do things in spite. Just in spite of you, I don't do it. Just when I get around to it or feel like it. If that if that was the case, uh, the whole world would be in revival all the time. I do it. I work through people. And how are they going to hear without a preacher? Well, I could preach to angels, but no, that's not the way I do it. This is the way I do things. And I do things on earth through people. That's the way I started. I'm a God of my word. 
I could have changed my mind, but I said, no, I'm going to continue to do it this way. Even after the fall, I'm not going to wipe them out and start over. I'm going to redeem it so I can get back to the plan, do it the way I said. So he's doing it through people. He wants to heal the sick through people. He wants to save the lost through people. He wants to deliver through people. So on and on and on it goes. My point to you is when we pray for America, we are filling the bowls of intercession. When we make our decrees, we are releasing more and more and more power that is that is dynamic in its working. It's able to move mountains, speak to them, they're cast into the sea. It didn't happen just because you speak once, but you keep speaking, you keep releasing. The power of God keeps flowing out of you until eventually the breakthrough comes. You know, two quick examples. Uh, Cece had a cyst in, in her womb her, on one of her ovaries uh, shortly after we were married. I won't tell you the whole story. God taught me a lot through it, and he worked in wonderful ways through this. But the bottom line was when, and when the doctor said, you have to have surgery to remove this cyst, we prayed about it. And we said, you know, went to the doctor who was a believer. He understood these things. He's, we said, you know, can, can we have some time to pray about this? You know, if it's urgent, if you think it's malignant or something, then, then by all means, we'll move quickly. But can you give us some time to pray? Yeah, I'll give you a, a couple of months. If they don't get it your way, we get it my way, he says. So I said, Lord, how do you want to do this? He said, I want you to pray in the spirit for an hour every day until that's gone. I've never, I've never had anything like that happen to me before. Or tell me anything like that. He said, but I, you know, I spent some time listening, praying, thinking about it I, until I knew deep in my heart. That's what he was saying. So I did. And every day I would go and just pray in my prayer language for an hour, not right over her. I was in the prayer room in the church. She was doing her thing, whatever she's doing. But, but I did it. And after 30 days, and he showed us along the way it was happening. But after 30 days, it was completely dissolved, gone and never returned. So why did it take 30 days? Was it a, is that some magic number? Did I finally talk God into it? Did I wrestle with God? He finally did it. Uh, was, was I finally spiritual enough? He said, yeah, you can have it now. Oh, no, I was releasing power every day. He showed me a couple of visions during that time to let me know, son, every time you do that, you're, you're, you're releasing power against that cyst. And I learned a great lesson from it. And I realized I'm really doing something. Something is really being released from me when I'm making these decrees and praying these prayers. So another, another situation, I'll, I'll stop with this one and we'll pray. Uh, he assigned me to pray for a little girl that had been in a coma for two and a half years. She was basically a vegetable. They fed her through a tube here and she breathed through a tube in her, uh, in her throat. And uh, she, she had uh, a disease that had attacked her brain. And they basically said, she's, she'll, she'll, even if she survives, she'll never be anything but a vegetable. And uh, it's tragic. It's horrible. Young girl, just a precious young girl. I think she was 19, 20 years old. But the Lord assigned me to pray for her. And he said, I, wa I want you to pray for her uh, every week. Go, to, go pray over her every week until she see, until I give her a new brain. This was, this was going to require a creative miracle, a, um, a resurrection of sorts of, of, this, of her brain, a new brain. And so I sought the Lord, and I, and, I, and I thought, you know, okay, I know this is God, so I'm going to do it. But, boy, I didn't think it was going to take a year. And I went every week for at least an hour. Uh, drove probably 30, 40 minutes each way to this nursing home and would just pray over her for an hour. It seemed redundant. It seemed like, boy, you know, what do you, what do you do every time? Just ask the same thing. Well, I pray in the spirit a lot. I worship over her. I would just speak the word, the creative power of the word of God. I would just take my Bible sometimes and just read it, and then I would just speak to her brain and say, "I command you to recover. I, I speak a new brain into you." It, it's not like Dutch Sheets can do that. Dutch Sheets was releasing the power of God, and God could have done it through an instant miracle. You know, he, had, he has enough power. Uh, he could have, I could have laid hands on her and she could have got up and ran, uh, got up and run. But uh, that's not the way he, he knew there are reasons that wouldn't be the best. Uh, and I could go into that, but, but 
he knew this was the way he needed to do it. And so every time I went in, I was releasing more of the power of God. And I went in, did that for a year and after a year to make a very long story short, the Lord healed her and gave her a new brain. And once he, once, once there was enough intercession power there, it happened instantly. He just walked in her room one morning and she was in her right mind and, and awake after what had ultimately been three and a half years of a coma and then went through re rehab and learned to walk again and all that. But my point to you is um, I wasn't talking, trying to talk God into something. I wasn't trying to wrestle a miracle from him. And I wasn't just trying to be a good Christian. He was using my prayers to do something. They were being released. The river was being released. The spirit of God was being released. The power of God was being released. And so as we pray for our nation, we're going to do that right now. As we pray for our nation, we're partnering with God. We're working with him, not just for him. And we are releasing decrees for him. We are his voice in the earth. We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his voice. So we're releasing his will. He said, pray this way, command my kingdom to come and my will to be done. That's a command in Greek, not a request. He didn't say, ask me for it. He said, command my kingdom will into certain situations. Command my will to be done. He said in Matthew 16, bind it loose. Take the keys of the kingdom and do this for me. And every time you do, something is, is, is taking place here. So we're not going to give up. We're not going to stop in this spiritual war we're in right now. There's no give up in us. There's no quit. We're going to continue to persevere. Lord, I pray for your people. Pray for the, the ecclesia, the, the praying church that knows that we are your legislature in the earth. We have governmental authority. We have the authority to bind and loose, to command, to decree, to release the river, to release power. Our faith speaks and we release power. Lord, I, I pray for them right now that they'll be strong in their perseverance and the fruit of patience. I pray, Lord, that, that no wavering will take place, that they will understand the process enough to stick with it and realize every day we're releasing a little more until the cup is filled, the bowl is filled. So, Lord, we, we, we come into agreement again for our nation. We come into agreement for our president. We ask you, Lord, to expose all fraud and that every legal vote will count and no illegal votes will count and that all of it will be overturned. And we pray especially for these six states that are hanging the balance that you've uh, highlighted to us, that you will you will expose all of the uh, illegal activity there and that you will uh, bring forth that which is pure and just and righteous. And we, and we just to say this, this election will not be stolen. We're not going to allow it. We forbid it. According to Matthew 16, we bind all of, all of those attempts and all of those activities in Jesus' name. And Lord, we release your mighty power into this situation right now. And we say, Lord, every time we do this, we know power is going into Washington. It's going into Washington, D.C. It's going into Michigan. It's going into Wisconsin. It's going into Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada. Uh, Lord, power is being released into these places every time we pray. And we just say through the prayer of agreement that power is multiplied into these places right now. We pray for our president that he remains strong. Lord, I I feel at times it's almost I can feel his discouragement. And so I pray courage into him. I say, Lord, let your Holy Spirit be released from us as we pray right now to go and hover around him and touch his heart and minister life to him and draw him to you in any parts of his life that are not yet transformed, that need to be worked uh, on by you to make him Christ, more Christ-like and to draw him to you. We say, Lord, we release the power of your Holy Spirit to do that right now. Any, anything in him that's displeasing to you, we ask you, let your, let your spirit just go out from us now and move in his heart until uh, by the time you're finished. And this is, this is my faith, Lord, and I believe people will be in agreement with this as they, as they pray with me right now, that by the time you're finished with Donald John Trump, he will be a man after your heart. 
He will be a lover of God. I believe he's already, he's already moving that direction, if not there. But Lord, I want a passionate, worshiping lover of you who knows your voice, who walks with you. Uh, and so, Lord, I, I pray that over him. And I pray for those surrounding him that they will uh, give him wise counsel. I pray for the legal team that, that is working to expose these uh, evil plans. I, pr I pray, Lord, for those to come forth that know of things that happened. The whistleblowers, bring them forth, Lord. I pray that everything hidden will be exposed. We bind up every work of darkness in Jesus' name. And, Lord, now I pray finally for your church. Keep us strong. Let the let your the the fruit of perseverance, patience come right up out of our spirit, and unite with our faith to keep us engaged, and doing this every day. And Lord, move on us. Keep us reminded, those of us with our prayer language, to pray in the spirit, often, a lot, frequently throughout the day. Praying in the spirit is so Holy Spirit can decree things through us, and angels can be released to do their thing. We thank you for these things, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I just want to say before I leave you that uh, we'll be, this is to be released Monday. If you watch it through the day, then tonight we're going to be in Pennsylvania doing a prayer gathering at 7 o'clock Eastern time from the headwaters of the Allegheny. You can read about it on my website. Uh, but if wherever you are, join us. If you're, if you're on the West Coast and it's only 4 o'clock, you can catch it later. But watch it and agree in prayer with us. God has shown us through a series of dreams very sovereignly that we are to go to this place and make decrees and, and release prayers over the nation. I'm believing for tens of thousands of people to join us in this, uh, maybe be the, 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 the largest live prayer meeting ever. I don't know. That'd be great, wouldn't it? But anyway, let's just uh, I'm, I'm asking you to join us and let's do what we've talked about in this uh, podcast. Let's do it together from Pennsylvania tonight and uh, we're going to see things change god bless you and by the way the website is dutchsheets.org you can find out there how to how to join us god bless you thanks i'll see you next time thank you for listening to this podcast from dutch sheets ministries if you would like more information about us or if you've been impacted by this podcast and would like to sew into the ministry please visit our website at dutchsheets.org